presence of the Lord. And uh, we rejoice in that as much as we will miss him. But we thank the Lord for his influence and his testimony. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. This is the Lord's Prayer or Christ's high priestly prayer. And I don't know about you, but I have just thoroughly enjoyed preparing and delivering these messages. And I know that uh, I don't do uh, nearly the justice that this passage deserves because it is such a wonderful, heavenly passage of Scripture. And we see the heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it just continues to grip me that our Savior prayed for you and me. The night that he goes to the cross to make atonement for our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin, he prays for us. It's an incredible thought. And we've seen already in John 17, we, see, we have seen that Christ prayed for himself. Uh, there in the, uh, the first section of this great chapter, he prayed for himself. He prayed for God to be glorified and for God to glorify him. And then in the next section, he prayed for his disciples. He prayed for his apostles, those 11 men. Of course, Judas had already left to betray Christ. So there are specific applications, of course, for the capital A apostles, those 11 men who he prayed specifically for, but also secondary applications for us as little a apostles, sent ones. And he prayed for their security. And we can also make application to our own lives because of the pressures and the trials and the persecutions and the difficulties that we face. Though, as his apostles, probably every single one of them would suffer martyrdom for the cause of Christ. But he prayed for their security. He prayed for their peace. He prayed that they would find strength in him and in the word of God. And what a blessing to know that our Lord and Savior prays for our security in him, that we find our strength in him, that we find our satisfaction in him. As those apostles would go out and many of them would be used to write the very inspired word of God and then to give their lives for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of his name. And to know that he prayed for them that night and very well could have prayed in their hearing. We're not exactly sure of the context, but he very well could have prayed verbally this prayer in their hearing. Or it's possible he had already gone ahead of them into the garden to pray and they were supposed to be praying back where he left them. But either way, what a comfort, what a joy, what a blessing to know that Christ prayed for his apostles and that we can make application to our lives as well. And what did he pray for? Again, he prayed for their security and he prayed for their sanctification. We just talked about that last Sunday, spent the majority of the message last Sunday talking about the process of sanctification that we are all going through as believers, this side of heaven. We look forward to the day when we will be saved from the very presence of sin itself. Having been saved from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin, we are going through this process of sanctification. And God is always at work in the believer's life, making them more like himself. He has promised that in his word. And he prayed for the apostles' sanctification. He prayed 
for our sanctification. And how are we sanctified? How would the apostles be sanctified? Through the truth of the word of God. Not through some experience, not through some ecstatic emotional experience, but through the truth of the word of God. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We read there in John 17 and verse 17. We looked at the fact that God's word is truth, that the Father is truth, that God's Son is truth, that the Holy Spirit is truth, and that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. So we need all of these aspects. We need God the Father, of course, and we need Christ, and we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Word of God as a regular part of our lives. We need the spiritual disciplines of the study and the meditation and the knowledge of the Word of God in order to be sanctified, in order to be conformed to the image of His Son. And we have to sometimes apply those truths in trials. We have to apply those truths in circumstances. We have to apply those truths in relationships. We have to apply those truths sometimes with help from counsel, from others who may confront us. I take it very seriously as a father and I am not perfect at it and I have a long ways to go, but I take it very seriously as a father that I am to be a primary, not the primary, but a primary instrument of sanctification in my children's lives. Now, they did not understand that, and sometimes they still don't understand that, but they especially didn't understand that when the tool for their sanctification might have been in the form of corporal punishment. But I'm thankful that my dad used a tool of sanctification. It was probably about a size 40 leather belt. And it was a tool for my sanctification. And sometimes that is the way God uses his word applied to our lives. Sometimes in chastening. Sometimes just in godly counsel. Thankful for many people in my life who have steered me in the right direction by godly counsel based on the word of God. Not just running to somebody who would agree with me, but sometimes having somebody who didn't agree with me to straighten out my thinking to make my thinking biblical instead of making my thinking stinking. Because my thinking was stinking and it needed to be biblical. I'm thankful for how God applies his word. And as we receive it humbly, with a teachable spirit, contritely, with broken hearts, as we are not just hearers of the word, but as we are doers of the word, then his process of sanctification brings spiritual growth, brings spiritual maturity. So he prayed for their security. He prayed for their sanctification. And then we reach now the third parts of Christ's high priestly prayer. And here he prays for our unity. He prays for our unity. John 17 and verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, And I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. This section of prayer is, this section of Christ's prayer is Christ's prayer specifically for all believers. Every genuine Christian, every genuine believer is united 
by their faith in Christ alone for their salvation. But that unity isn't in the absence of truth. Their unity is because of the truth. I've given the illustration many a time here already, but I think of often in this bond of the Spirit, in this unity, in this bond that we have in Christ with other believers, I often think of the mission trips that I took to Africa. And as I would meet believers who have a totally different cultural background, a totally different ethnic background, totally different upbringing, as genuine believers, we were united in Christ. And there was a bond as fellow believers that was unique and was special. And we have experienced that. We can go, sometimes maybe it's on vacation, and we're driving hundreds of miles away, and we stop, and I know I've done this on more than one occasion, and you know, you feel a little awkward, but you're, you're, even though you're on vacation, you, you want to you wanna worship. You want to go, and you, you find a, a good church. Now, back years ago, we had to open the hotel, what would it be, the hotel menu, <laughs> and to flip through the pages to try to find a, a, a church, and you were hoping that you would get a good one. Uh, nowadays, you can go to the, the internet, and maybe you have friends who refer you to a, a, a church, but... What a joy to walk into a good Bible-preaching church when you're on vacation, when you're traveling, and to be united with them in Christ, and to be able to worship together as they also preach the Word of God and and proclaim the truths of, of God's name. That bond, that fellowship of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Philippians 2, it is special. And that unity is because of the truth, because of the realities regarding Christ and our salvation. So Christ wasn't praying in this unity, in this prayer for unity. He wasn't praying for us to set aside biblical orthodoxy. That's what some people try to to say as they look at this passage. They, They don't interpret scripture by scripture. And there is a progressive form of Christianity that ignores the attributes of God to the exclusion of of, of other attributes of God One of the ways in which this happens is in this call for unity where people say doctrine divides. Let's all just find what is the least common denominator among all of us who profess Christ and then we can all get along. And that's not what Christ's prayer is. Christ's prayer for unity is not in the absence or the exclusion of truth. It is because of the truth. It is because of the realities of who Christ is and the realities of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. Christ wasn't praying for us to set aside the truth of God's word. He was not praying for us to set aside biblical orthodoxy. Now we understand that genuine believers have differences. It happens. Even among Orthodox Christians, there can be differences important enough that we organize our denominations or our local churches around common beliefs, practices, and polity. I've met good men through the years, godly men, who I disagreed with on certain maybe secondary uh, areas or applications of certain doctrines. And many times, not always, but many times, The differences are minor because it's 
not necessarily a foundational or fundamental doctrine that we disagree on. It might just be the application of that doctrine in certain areas. There may be differences in ministry philosophy, in methodology, in church government, in music, in personal standards. We can talk about all the different ways in which we differ. And sometimes those differences are big enough and they're convictional enough that we have to fellowship in a different way, in a different place. We have to join another church. That's not what we desire, obviously, here at Berean, uh, for, for anybody to, to leave because of a secondary difference, a uh, minor difference. But we understand that sometimes, even among those applications of foundational fundamental doctrines, there are causes for us to fellowship in different places, in different churches. This happens probably too much. We probably have too much discord, too much divisiveness, I would say, in Christianity. One of the sad ways, I don't know where it would rank on the ways that churches are planted, but I must say that one of the ways that churches are planted today is through a church split, and that's sad. Sadly, many churches are split over color of the carpet, what side of the platform the organ or the piano is going to be on, uh, whether we choose chairs or pews. I'm thankful our church didn't split over pews. Um, we did split in four different ways, but not, not in that <laughs> philosophical way or, or something along that line. Thankfully, God has blessed us with great unity, and I don't ever want to take that for granted. There is a unity that we have as a local church, and it's constantly being attacked from without and from within. Satan loves to divide. We are to be unique, unique and distinct from the world in this area. As an independent Baptist church, we believe in and hold firmly to the foundational, fundamental doctrines of the Bible. The faith once delivered to the saints. We know there are other true believers who we will see in heaven that differ from us on some things. But we still hold firmly to the foundational, fundamental doctrines of the Word of God and to Baptist polity. I'm not ashamed of being a Baptist. I'm a Baptist by conviction. Now, for a while, I was a Baptist because my mom and dad took me to a Baptist church. But as I grew up in my faith, as I learned more about the Bible, as I went off to Bible college and seminary, those, up, those principles, those practices of Baptist polity, they went from just, okay, my mom and dad took me to a Baptist church, that was what I was used to, to convictions based on the Word of God. Now, the only way to heaven is through faith alone in Christ alone. That is clear in Scripture. There is only one way to heaven, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But we practice Baptist polity because we believe it best adheres to scriptural teachings regarding the church. Now, we don't say that as a matter of arrogance or boastfulness. We say that out of conviction, formed by careful study of the Word of God. And I'm not here to get into a long uh, discourse or sermon on the acronym Baptists. 
but it helps us in understanding Baptist polity, Baptist practice, Baptist distinctions by using the acronym B-A-P-T-I-S-T-S. One day I'd like to uh, do a, a whole series in Sunday school or on Sunday nights on each of those letters in the Baptist distinctives. But in addition to Baptist polity formed by careful study of the Bible and producing convictions regarding Baptist polity, there is also a historical record of Baptist pastors in churches that goes back hundreds of years. Baptist polity wasn't invented by some cultic group in the dark shadows of historic Christendom. Now, I'm not here to just preach a sermon on Baptist distinctives, but I do think it is important that understanding as Berean Baptist Church, I have no plans as the pastor of this church to take Baptist out of the name of our church. I don't see Catholics taking Catholic out of the name of their church. When we go to a restaurant, and believe me, church is far more important than a steak dinner, though I could use a good steak dinner. (laughs) I must admit, I burned the steaks the other night. I'm so disappointed. We had a good sale on steaks. You know how it is around here with inflation. You... meat, steaks are outrageous. We got a good deal on steaks. So it was just me and the boys, because Kelly's on a trip down to Georgia with her her dad. A little bit of a rabbit trail here, but her dad uh, served in Vietnam, and one of his army buddies died in Vietnam, and he got reconnected with the family of this army buddy, and uh, they wanted to to meet and get together and, and, and talk about his life and share some of their uh, experiences and, and family and, and that kind of thing. And so Kelly went with him down to, to Georgia today, or actually on Thursday, uh, Thursday and Friday. And then uh, we, we were, we were going to do steak dinner. So Kelly's on her way back today. She should be back home tonight. But we we're going to do a steak dinner, you know, just me and the, me and the boys, steak dinner. <laughs> and I put six steaks out on the grill. And I was, I was so excited. And I, I did it all wrong. The wind, the wind was blowing. I had the heat on too high. I went inside for a few minutes to do something on my computer. And next thing I knew, Josiah's like, hey, Dad, there, there, there's smoke um, coming from the, the grill. I was like, ah, it's just normal. It's just, it's just cooking. I go out the back door, and the whole grill is engulfed in flame. And so I run out there, I open up the, you know, I back up and I open up the hood of the grill, and of course everything is just on fire. And, and, and we have barbecue steak going on. I tried a spray bottle, I realized this is down in the grease pan. So I said, Josiah, grab the baking soda. And he grabbed all the baking soda we had, and we doused that grill. And the fire went out, but our steaks were gone. So off to McDonald's we went. I was so... <laughs> So, so disappointed. So disappointed. But you know, we, we have, we have in Christ, we have such a bond, a spiritual bond. And as a Baptist church, we have a scriptural practice that unites us as believers. And we have the privilege of coming together as a church family 
as members one of another. And Christ prayed for this unity. Yes, he prayed for the unity of the universal church, as some would say. I understand that. But he was also praying for the unity of us as individual church members in our local churches bonded together in Christ and organized by scriptural principles and scriptural convictions. I don't say, again, this as being a Baptist preacher, that if you have a different background or you have... Uh, attended different uh, from uh, churches from a different denomination. I don't say any of this as judgmental or, or condemning. I just say that this is our practice, and we practice these convictions because they are derived from the Word of God. But we want there to be unity. We want there to be unity among our people. The, the world is looking for reasons to divide us up. And if we understand that our unique spiritual bond is in Christ, then we understand that we have a spiritual kinship that is not understood by the unsaved world. The unsaved world can bond, yes, in sports teams. You know, they can be mutual fans. I can sit in a stadium and cheer for the same sports team as a lot of other people, but that's not the same kind of bond that I have with brothers and sisters in Christ. There can be army buddies who have a bond. My father-in-law has a bond with those whom he served with in Vietnam. And some of you have similar kinds of bonds with maybe people that you served with in the armed forces or in law enforcement or served many years in a particular place of employment. We have bonds that come through sports, that come through hobbies, that come through similar interests or some commonality. But that's still not the same as the bond that we have in Christ. And when God calls us together as a local church and we agree to a covenant of faith, then we are members one of another. We're members in Christ, and then we're members one of another. I will often say that every believer needs a local church. And every believer not only needs a local church, but needs to be faithful to that local church. We need each other. We can go to passages of Scripture like 1 Corinthians 15. We're in John 17, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15 speaks to this unity. 1 Corinthians 15, and we drop down to verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, but every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. And then we drop all the way down in 1 Corinthians 15 to verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Where is that unity? It's unity in the resurrection, in the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Well, then where do we serve? We serve in the local church. We serve the Lord. So then we back up to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. For by one spirit, verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 12, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, 
whether, be, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 12. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. We can go to Romans chapter 12 and we can see also where our spiritual gifts are exercised in the church to edify one another. It is clear that we're bound in Christ, we're bonded in Christ as saved individuals. We serve the Lord faithfully and we do so where? At the picnic table in the woods, behind our house, or at the local park where we can commune with God through nature? Do we bond with Christ and serve the Lord and serve each other in our living rooms, sitting watching some TV preacher, and maybe he holds out a holy handkerchief and we touch the screen to get spiritual vibes? Of course not. There are times where we're providentially hindered. There are work shifts that come and go that prevent us from being active and faithful in our local church. But that should be temporary and not a regular pattern of our life where we're consistently missing church. I was telling somebody the other day as we were talking about the possibility of membership in our church. I grew up in a home where church was the center of our lives. And I'm thankful for that. God was number one in our home, in our family. And one of the ways that that was practiced, that it was obvious, is because we were in church. And my parents served, and we were faithful. And I knew that God was number one, not just because of the way my home was operated at home, but because church was important. It was central to our lives. I remember my mom and dad having the discussion when we moved to Indiana in 1983 as to where they were going to buy their house, where we were going to live. We wanted to be close in proximity to my dad's workplace, but more importantly, my mom and dad wanted to be close to church. I'm thankful for that. So our unity is in Christ. We have that bond in Christ. But we're united as members to serve one another, to edify one another. And where do we serve one another? Where do we worship the Lord? Where do we serve the Lord and serve each other? In the church. The universal church has not met yet. It will meet one day in glory. So where do we serve now? In our local church. We need that accountability. We need that umbrella of protection. We need to be provoking one another to love and to good works. And that means that we have to apply the principles of this unity in a way that sometimes is hard. Look in verse 23. I in them and thou in me that they may be made perfect in one. Maturity. How does this spiritual maturity take place? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is 
truth. So there is, again, this mention of perfection, of maturity, of growth, because it's in the church, as we unite as believers, as we come together as a local church, as we provoke one another to love and to good works, as we iron sharpen iron, as we sometimes are faithful in wounding our friend, faithful are the wounds of a friend, the kisses of an enemy are deceitful, as we receive godly counsel, as we center the teaching and preaching of God's word, as we come together as a body of Christ, mutually edifying each other, then we see the maturity of the believer. And my responsibility as a pastor is to shepherd the flock of God, to feed the flock of God, and to reprove and to rebuke and to exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And that's a big responsibility that I take very seriously. And as a local church, unified in Christ, unified as members, as a local body called together, we are to be hearers of the word, yes, but we're to be doers of the word. And that's part of that perfection as we live out. Because verse 23, as Jesus prays for us, that the world may know that thou hast sent me. So Christ prayed for our unity. Our unity is in Christ. And then our unity is exercised in the church, in a local body, under the preaching and teaching of God's word as we serve God, as we serve one another, as we edify one another. And then our unity does what? It is a testimony to the world. Again, verse 23. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. We are a testimony to a lost and dying world that is fractured, that is divided, that is despairing, that is cutthroat, that is mudslinging, and now is bloodletting. As we are seeing violence in our streets and violence toward houses of worship, violence toward those who are conservative, we are seeing new levels of disunity and discord. And this is not a political speech. But one of the desires of Satan himself is to sow discord. James is clear as to why there are wars and fightings among us. Why? Because of our lusts. Because we want to consume our lusts, James says. He doesn't hold it back. And Satan loves to divide the brethren. He loves to divide cultures and divide countries. And one of the ways in which Satan is dividing up our country is so that certain small groups of people with lots of power can take over and have control, which ultimately then leads to the Antichrist himself, as we've been talking about in the series on prophecy. I'm not giving up on repentance and revival. Don't get me wrong. But we can see how division and discord is a tool of the devil. And as believers, we are a testimony to the world. We must reflect the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord that is given to us in the new birth. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. But how often is that light blurred and blunted by bitterness, by strife, and by discord between brethren? What kind of testimony is it to the unsaved when churches split up and a group goes down the road and starts another church that has split from a church and they've never gotten things fixed. I remember Pastor Arrowwood telling me as he served as a pastor in West Virginia, he found out that there was another little church down the road that had split from his church before he became the pastor. And one day, after he had been there for many years, God led the new pastor at that church and Pastor Arrowwood to bring those churches together and unite once again as one church. And he saw as people let go of previous trivial disagreements and fell on each other's necks and wept and hugged. And the church was united once again. But we live in a world of division and strife. And when that gets into the church, it becomes a detriment to our testimony. When we pick fights over the pettiest of issues and elevate certain personal preferences to the level of foundational doctrines then we get ourselves in trouble, don't we? And when we begin to split theological hairs and annihilate one another and blow up a thumbtack with a nuclear weapon or make a mountain out of a molehill and then blow up the mountain, then we are no different from the world. Bitterness and unforgiveness and having to win the argument all the time and this consuming of our lusts, it only creates discord among the brethren. It hurts the cause of Christ. Now, is biblical separation necessary at times? Sure it is. Mark them which cause divisions among you, we are told in 2 Thessalonians. We're told that there are times like Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, where church discipline has to be exercised. 2 Corinthians 6, like we looked at last week, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. There are times where church discipline has to be exercised. There are times of personal separation and ecclesiastical separation that are necessary. We must follow the commands and principles of the Word of God in those areas. But we also must obey the commands and principles of the Word of God regarding confrontation, regarding forgiveness among believers. Luke 17, if thy brother offend thee, rebuke him. If he repent, forgive him. And forgive how many times? Until 70 times 7 which is a euphemism for all the time, always. We are to have that forgiving spirit. Of course, we know the commands, as I already mentioned, from 1 Corinthians 5, Matthew 18, and then Galatians 6, where, to, where, where we are to restore our brethren in a spirit of meekness. Yes, confront them, but do so in a spirit of meekness, lest we also be tempted. These are hard principles, aren't they, to practice they're easy to read. Can I say that sometimes they're easy to preach, but not really? Because when I preach them, I got to live them. And I got to live them at home first. And then I have to live them out at church, too. And I have to practice them. It begins with me. But this is part of our unity. This is part of what Christ prayed for. What does the world do? What does the world do? The world has been so divided up that now we are like little tribes with all of our political differences. And we 
divide up into our tribes based on political consistencies or inconsistencies, differences, or, or likes. And believers can be that divided. I met a man. Actually, I shouldn't say I met a man. I know a man. We've been friends for many, many years. He got out of church. We got, re, we got back into contact. And it was, uh, it was through a, a social media messaging service. And I, I messaged him and I said, hey, how's your son doing? How are you doing? And we hadn't talked for, for years. And uh, we, we had had our ups and downs. I had to discipline his son in, in school. And, and uh, we got things worked out. And we, we were still friends. And his, his boy is, is, is doing much, much better and, 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 and doing well. And we chatted a little bit about that. And then I asked him, I said, are, are you still going to such and such church? And he said, no, I can't find a church because... And then he named the political issue, and he said, I can't find a pastor who agrees with me on this political issue. And I thought, wow, I have no chance as a pastor. Because there's absolutely no way I'm going to agree with everybody on every political issue, on every finer point, and be able to preach it every Sunday. I'm, I'm done, you know. <laughs> but that's the way he was choosing his church, was on a political issue, and he had in his pastoral in his church search he would go to the pastor and if the pastor didn't agree with him on this political issue then he he didn't go to church at all and i'm still trying to figure out how that measures up with hebrews 10 28 not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together psalm 133 says that it is good for brethren to dwell together in unity it's like the oil that comes down off of the priest's beard so God has called us as believers together to Berean. We are a family in Christ. We are a body of Christ and a local body that should have care for one another. And I have seen that in the two years I've been your pastor. I have seen our church care for one another. It has been a tremendous testimony of the Romans 12 and the 1 Corinthians 12 principles. As I have seen you as a church family care for one another. And it hurts my heart even to see somebody move away because we're family. I don't want to see anybody leave, but I understand sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes we can't help that. But for me as a pastor, I don't want to see one sheep go away. As a family member, I don't want, as a, as a family, as a church family, I don't want to see anybody go away. But, I, but again, I, I understand that sometimes that is necessary when it's done in, in, for scriptural reasons. But too often we see churches divide up. And you know what? There's a new practice in evangelicalism today. It's called church shopping. Where you don't ever join a church. You don't ever settle at a church. You just shop around. It's like going to Payless. Going to Kroger. Going to Meijer. Uh, maybe going to Walmart. And that's the way we treat church. But that's not scriptural. The Puritan preacher Thomas Brooks said, discord, discord and division become no Christian for wolves to worry the lambs is for, for wolves to worry the lambs is no wonder. But for one lamb to worry another lamb is unnatural and monstrous. That's the Puritan preacher Thomas Brooks. You know, our Christian harmony is not built on the externals. It's built on the internals. It's built on the eternal realities of who God is, who His Son is, and the indwelling Holy Spirit as revealed in the Word of God. We have to, as 
Bible-believing Christians, we have to look beyond the externals. Again, our culture puts so much emphasis on beauty, athleticism, ethnicity, and so on and so forth. And we have to get past those superficial features and reach the heart, develop character, and provoke one another to love and to good works. We have to rise above the world who breaks up into its tribal groups within political parties, whose only solution, it seems, is for disagreements and differences is to annihilate the other side, to dehumanize and to annihilate the other side. It seems that that's where our culture has gone. We have to rise above that. That's what Christ prayed for. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and thou lovest them as thou lovest me. Verses 24 through 26, we see that one day we will be united with Christ in glory. And we have his love. We have Christ's love and assurance that Romans 8 promises nothing shall separate us from the love of God. And we have in this union with Christ, as he prayed for us to have unity, he even looked forward to the day when we will be with him in glory. Verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. He prayed for the eternal security of the believer. Another proof text for the eternal security of the believer, because if Christ prayed for true believers to be secure in him for all eternity, then do you think God would answer Christ's prayer? We are secure in him. We see that here right in verse 24. And then the love and assurance that Christ prayed for and promised. O righteous Father, verse 25, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. What a powerful promise. What a securing promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And Christ prayed for that. And if Christ prayed for us, for that to be true, then we know it's true. And will be true for all eternity, for all who know Christ as their personal Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for praying for us. The fact that you would love us so much to even pray in your final hours for us. Lord, what love that's beyond our ability to comprehend. And Lord, I pray that we will be humbled by this great love and by this prayer for unity, that Lord, we might search within and see if there's something that we need to fix that would help us in relationships with others, that Lord, we will be edifying one another, that Lord, even as the truth is spoken and it's done in love, that we will learn and that we will grow and Lord, as we have to be chastened or confronted or rebuked, or if we have to be the one to do that, Lord, may we do that in the spirit of meekness, Lord, with the purpose of restoration, that the unity that we have in Christ may be a testimony to the world, and that we as Berean Baptist Church will be a light in a dark place where we will rise above the world and all its conflicts and be united in you, united on the truth, United in Christ, on the truth, on the principles of the word of God. 
And Lord, may we be faithful to your word, faithful to the principles, the promises, and the commands, the clear teachings, the foundational, fundamental truths of the word of God. Continue to proclaim them and live them out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll stand and turn in our hymnals. Hymn number 680. We